Please stand as you're able for today's New Testament lesson from the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Do not speak harshly to an older man, but speak to him as to a father, to younger men as brothers, to older women as mothers, to younger women as sisters, with absolute purity. Honor widows who are really widows. If a widow has children or grandchildren, they should first learn their religious duty to their own family and make some repayments to their parents, for this is pleasing in God's sight. The real widow, left alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give these commands as well, so that they may be above reproach. And whoever does not provide for relatives, and especially for family members, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. David, thank you so much for reading our lesson this morning. And grace and peace to all of you who are in person with us. Uh, It is so good to be in worship with you and those of you uh, who are with us online as Shelby has welcomed you. It's a great joy and an honor to be in your home today to share with you God's word and to worship with each of you. I I deeply appreciate uh, Bishop Bill McAlilly who preached here in my absence last week. Uh, Sherry and I had a chance to, to be away and to do a little study leave and we're working on the book of Exodus for next fall beginning in August. We're gonna do a series on the book of Exodus on on God's deliverance for God's people. And then in the new year, in 2023, we're going to do a section on the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20, and then we'll finish in the spring after Lent with a series on the book of Hebrews. Uh, Many of you have never heard a series. I've never preached a series on the book of Hebrews, the 13 chapters there that speak to us about the Messianic Deliverer who has come to us in Christ Jesus. So uh, I'm grateful for the time that we spent away for the rest time and, and uh, it is wonderful to be back with you today. What a beautiful day uh, to be in worship today. And it's hard to believe that a week from this coming Wednesday, if you didn't know, it's March the 2nd, which is Ash Wednesday. And we'll begin our 40 day journey uh, in a series called Walk This Way, walking in the footsteps of Jesus, and we hope that you'll join us uh, for that Ash Wednesday service. That will also lead us to Easter Sunday, at which time we're going to add the early service back in with youth choir. Uh, We feel like James has had an opportunity now to rebuild our youth choir, and as we're rebuilding and relaunching ministry together, uh, we'll be on a new schedule uh, starting on Easter Sunday uh, with uh, our services, three services on Sunday morning. So we we look forward to that, and we look forward to sharing uh, these occasions in worship with you. Well, today we're continuing this series that we started five weeks ago called Love Uncontaminated. And we've been slowly but surely working our way through uh, this pastoral letter uh, that was written from the Apostle Paul to his mentor, to a young pastor named Timothy, who had been assigned to the city of Ephesus a strategic location for a new church. It's interesting to me that Paul's principal preoccupation in chapter five, like chapter three, is with the good order of the church. I appreciated Shelby so much your your prayer talking through uh, God as a God of order who is not a God of chaos, 
but who is a God who organizes our chaos. And so it is in chapter 5, Paul is talking again about the good order of the church. But the difference is, in chapter 3, Paul was speaking in the third person concerning the necessary attributes of those who are seeking leadership in the church. But in chapter 5, Paul is speaking in the second person directly to Timothy as to his conduct as a pastoral leader within the context of the church. Now, I think what we've read and what we're going to talk about today is not only applicable to pastors like Shelby and myself and others, I think it's completely applicable to all servant leaders, to all disciples who interact with the body of Christ, with you. The primary issue in this text is with the care and respect for members of the body. In fact, it's intriguing that Paul begins with a word of concern for the elderly in the congregation. It begins like this, do not speak harshly to an older man, but speak to him as to a father. J.B. Phillips' translation says it like this, don't rebuke, don't reprimand a senior member of the church, but appeal to him or her as a parent. And so it's, it's very clear that Paul at this point is talking about the church's response to those who are elderly. There is ample instruction, of course, in the Judeo-Christian tradition and in the Old and New Testaments concerning our care for those who are elder. Such respect, wouldn't you agree, is one of the cornerstones of, of civilized behavior. In fact, you can look at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 32. You remember that? You shall stand up in the presence of the aged. You shall honor the presence of an elder as you also revere the Lord. I don't know how it was with you, but I was taught to say yes, ma'am, and no, sir, as a child, out of respect for my elders. You see it again in Proverbs 16, gray hair, and this is good news, gray hair is a crown of glory. It is a mark of distinction. It is the reward for a righteous life, if you still have your hair. Proverbs 20, The glory of youth is their strength, but the splendor of old folk is their gray hair. Proverbs 23, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she grows old. Or how about Job 12, verse 12, wisdom is with the aged and understanding in the length of days. Now, it's very clear that in the ancient culture, the elderly were believed to be a source of accumulated, accrued wisdom who had a crucial role to play in the community or in the village in terms of counsel and advice. In fact, some of you remember Andy Rooney, yes, Uh, from 60 Minutes, who once said, and I agree with this, the best classroom in the world is at the feet of an elderly person. I saw a sign in a high school classroom in our area recently that said this, respect your elders, they made it through school without Google or Wikipedia. Respect. That's also interesting that it's not just the elders, but a chapter earlier in chapter four, verse 12, Paul specifically says to Timothy, 
Don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth, but set them an example in speech, life, love, faith, and in purity. So in an ancient culture that venerated the elderly, we're also cautioned never to disrespect or denigrate the young. And that was what was happening in Ephesus. Paul wouldn't have given these instructions if there hadn't been some generational tension in the church. And there has always been tension between generations. There's always been what we refer to sometimes as a generation gap, right? We currently have seven generations of people uh, among our membership living together. We have the GI generation, and you know the dates on this. I have a slide with our generations on it. The GI generation, 1910 to 24. We have the silent generation. My mother is a part of the silent generation. We have the baby boomers, mostly baby boomers here. We have Gen X, we have Gen Y, which we call the millennials, we have Gen Z, and now those born after 2012 are called Generation Alpha. So we're going back to the beginning, to A, Gen Alpha. Wouldn't you agree that we're all shaped to some degree by the time and place of our birth? And I don't know about you, but I've noticed that every generation tends to think that our generation has all the answers to the last generation's mistakes. Sometimes I'll hear parents, uh, older folks, talk about the now generation as though they're so problematic and I wanna stop and say, well, after all, you raised them. One thing I have learned the last few months is that grandchildren are the dots that connect the lines from generation to generation. I've learned this in the last three months, and yes, I happen to have a picture for you this morning. I haven't showed you. I haven't showed you this young man since Christmas Eve, and I don't want to cheat anybody, but this is Crosby, three months old. He turned yesterday. I had the privilege of watching the Super Bowl with him last Sunday, and he was very pleased. One of the things I love about Bumsey is that we have this multi-generational focus in our ministry. I don't know about you, but I love those Sundays when the youth choir and the adult choir are singing together in the choir loft. It's a beautiful thing when you see all ages of people in the same space. In fact, you see this now on our staff. You also see this in our lay leadership on the church council. Did you know that our oldest member on the church council is 85 and the youngest member is 16? multi-generational, but there's always tension. It's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul considered Timothy to be a youth when he wrote this letter. Because at the time that Timothy was in Ephesus, you know how old he was? He was 30-something. We don't know exact age, 30-something. And in the Greco-Roman culture, 30, the age of 30, was the required minimum age for an entry-level office into the governmental structure. You had to be at least 30. In the military, those 30 to 40 were considered young, youth. So 30-something would have been really pretty young to hold office also in a religious association in the church. So when Paul says in chapter four, Timothy, don't let others despise your youth, 
he is really helping Timothy to understand and anticipate there will be criticism because of your youth. Now, I have to tell you, I took my first church when I was super young. I was way too young to serve a church. I have a picture of myself in my first church. There I am. Um, actually, I was 22. And I remember that in my first five to 10 years of ministry, if I heard it once, I heard it a million times. Now, pastor, you're young. So that whenever I had a new idea or a creative idea, now, pastor, you're young, as though my youthfulness was a liability. And it can be. Particularly when we pretend to be wiser than we are. Somebody asked me a question the other day to which I didn't know the answer and I said, I'm sorry, I don't know. I'm not young enough to know everything. Now, I have to admit, when I graduated from Emory University, I didn't know what I didn't know. I knew more than I thought I knew. I had some IQ, intelligence, but I have very little EQ. That's emotional intelligence. And I found out in the church, the church helped me with this, I found out in the hard way that IQ without EQ is PU. I was talking to the bishop the other day and I said, what is the biggest issue that you have with clergy? And he said, it's emotional intelligence. It's not a lack of textbook smart. It's just a lack of, of care and love. Now, I don't know how it was with you, but I was so blessed in my 20, 30-something days with mentors who helped me, who did not despise my youth, but encouraged me and mentored me and challenged me in my youth. And as I remember, the people who helped me the most were not trying to help me at all. In other words, I wasn't their project. They considered me their colleague. And oh, by the way, the best response to those who look down on you because of your youth is in the latter part of chapter 4, verse 12. Set them an example in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. I was reading recently in a book called The Apostolic Canons which is a fourth century document that has the ecclesial order and discipline of the early church. I read that in these canons, they actually discouraged ordaining bishops who were under the age of 50. And the reason being was because the stress and strain of such a post demanded maturity, demanded experience, wisdom. And after reading this section, I decided to do a little poll. And I called Bishop McAlilly, how old were you, Bill, when, when you were elected? He was 56. I called Bishop Pennell, how old were you, Joe, when you were elected? He was also 56. I called Bishop Spain, how old were you when you became a bishop? He said 63. And of course, in Bishop Spain's case, at that point, he was still in his adolescence, I think, because he is today 96. <laughs> And he's still going strong, still mentoring me. In fact, I said to him the other day, I have figured out, Bishop Spain, why you are so good. You have very little peer pressure. <laughs> In fact, I said, when the role is called up yonder, you'll still be here. 
We need the strength and passion of youth and the wisdom and maturity of age. In our demographic study of Williamson County that we did recently, we found that the largest percentage of people in our community are age 35 to 54, followed by the largest percentage of people, zero to 17. That's no surprise. People come here for education. Quite frankly, they come for the school system. But do you know what the fastest growing demographic is in Williamson County? It's 65 plus. And so while it's true that we're as a church called to pass the baton and do everything possible we can to reach the younger demographic with the gospel, God help us never to neglect the elders among us. One of the key statutes in the book of Exodus In the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments is Exodus 20, verse 12. Here's what it says. Honor your father and mother. We've heard this all of our lives. But what's interesting to me is if you dig into that text and into that culture, you will discover that that commandment was not primarily written to little children in regard to their parents. It was written to adult children regarding their aging parents. The word honor in in the Hebrew is kabed. It means something of great weight, weighty, like gold or silver. It's a measure of weight. And so what the text is saying is that someone whose presence and influence carries great weight with you is often an elder. The verse implies that we're to give deep respect and honor to aging loved ones. And by the way, this is the only commandment of the 10 that also comes with a promise. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that I, the Lord your God, am giving to you. And so what that says to me is that the future is made secure not only by equipping and empowering youth, but also in honoring and caring for our elders. And the fact is, this is to be so, according to Paul, not only in our families. In fact, he goes so far to say is, if you don't take care of your family, your immediate family, you are worse than an unbeliever. But it's more than biology. It's also our theology. It's more than a nuclear family. It's a spiritual family. Listen again to the text, chapter 5, 1 and 2. Do not speak harshly to an older man, but speak to him as to a father. Speak to younger men as brothers, to older women like they're your mother, and to younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And of course, the rest of the chapter, if you read it, goes on to say that we're to show our deepest level of respect to those who are most vulnerable among us, the widow, the widower, the orphan, the marginalized. Why? Because we're family. (laughs) 
Because church is not something you go to, it's a family you belong to. Jesus actually redefined the word family in Mark 3 when he said, look, whoever does the will of my father, you're my brother, you're my sister, you're my mother, you're my dad. So according to Jesus, family is not just blood, it's obedience. We've had a lot of funerals lately. Since the first of the year, I think we've had about 12 since the first of the year. This past week, we celebrated the life of Beth Large. She and Bill have been married 57 years. Paige and David are part of this church. And I want to say a word of thanks to our congregational care team under the care of Casey Orr, who is a youth, according to the biblical definition, in her 30s. Marvelous team of staff and laity who who guide us, who care for us in times of deep grief. We have two Sunday school classes, at least two in particular, in our greater congregation who have been deeply affected by grief in these last years. Robert I. Moore and the Wesley Forum. These two classes are made up of people who have been a part of our community for years, part of our elder members, And we had a service last Wednesday for a man named Bernie Muller who died just about a week and a half ago. Bernie was 89. He and his wife, Liz, had been married for, get this, 69 years. They've been members here in this church for 42 years, which is saying a lot in a culture of serial church hoppers, isn't it? Four decades, members of one church, one family, And they found their niche in the Wesley Forum. 42 years they've been apart. They've had a life together in that class. Bernie was a cradle Methodist who was baptized in the Bartlett Methodist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, Must have been, what, 1932. Uh, Back then, we would say that a Methodist was basically a Baptist who had learned to read. He was a cradle Methodist. And at the funeral this last Wednesday, there were four rows, generations, from 11 months, great-grandchildren, all the way up to his children, who are now in their 60s. All of them with tears, four rows, devoted to Bernie, Bernie devoted to them, all generations, were here to stand in his memory and in his presence. I asked Liz, after Bernie's death, what is your secret? 69 years. Because whatever it is, you you need to teach it. One year shy of seven decades, what is your secret? And as though she were expecting the question without batting an eye, she said, love no matter what. Love no matter what. She said, there was never a question that we would not work it out. And it occurred to me when Elizabeth Muller said that, that the same thing that keeps a marriage together keeps a church together. Love, no matter what. This is, this is love uncontaminated. 
In our baptism, a binding covenant is made wherein we have the privilege of receiving the promise of God for a lifetime. And we are woven into a community where we are taught to love no matter what. We're family. Sisters, brothers, mothers, fathers, in-laws, outlaws, so that even in those potholes and pitfalls and pandemics, we stick together, young and old and in between, for love's sake, no matter what. That's what it means to belong to the family of God. May it always be so, for Christ's sake, amen.